Welcome to the Change in Nature podcast. Inspiring people, inspiring change. For more episodes of this podcast, as well as retreats and offerings to help you change in nature, visit our website, changeinnature.org. So I'm here with Jamie Catto, who I met in the wilds in Devon, and we were doing a collaboration. So Jamie was bringing his Transforming Shadows workshop into nature. And it was a really powerful workshop. It shines a light on people's limiting beliefs, their fears, their neuroticism, and it seeks to transform them with lots of deep insight. But what I loved about the workshop was how much humour there was, that you didn't have to be earnest and meditate for a whole weekend to transform. And it had a really, really powerful effect on all the people there. Mm. So um, maybe we can start this interview, Jamie, if you would like to say a bit about your work and why it's so effective. Yeah, I think that the amount of neurotic attention of our mind to strategizing, controlling, worrying what people think, that whole level of monitoring the shop window and the comfort, not comfortable experience that the ego part of the brain is doing is so limiting. The amount everybody is spending in a sleep state, being dragged around reactively like a puppet on a string to the last idiot that crossed their path or the last thing that triggered them or the last worrying thought or the last unexpected phone call is such a pinball machine of lack of presence that it's not just like an elephant in a room it's like the dinosaur in the room you know it's it's as big a problem as everyone on their screens not paying each other attention and uh, the route to unediting all that nonsense and un and easing that whole protective I must never feel uncomfortable panic strategizing brain um, is to let what is happening anyway, which is our incredible self-mendingness, is unediting itself. It doesn't know how to do anything except self-mend, not just the skin, not just the viruses and the blood and the bones knitting together. It doesn't know how to do anything else except unedit itself back to the unneurotic state and not need to be presenting this shop window. Of the, the, all the neurosis is, is all about maintaining the edits we made as children. But we've learned religiously to not turn towards those edits because it's like, no, that's not me, and it just makes people freak out. But that's just phantoms in our mind. It actually, it, they're not phantoms. They're not the dragons around the map that we've made ourselves believe that they are. And any, a tiny quarter turn towards them with fun and friends and everyone's crazy. I'm no more crazy than you. You know, everyone's just nuts. Everyone knows that they're running a fucking sitcom of insanity that no one knows about in their head. And uh, when we all do that in fun together, actually, these dragons around the map turn into children's chalk drawings of dragons. You just go, and they're gone so easily in masses amount of treasure. It's like a very high yield game. Um, and the amount of anxiety and stress and disease and fucked up relationships and snappy comments and just all the pinball of shit that limits life so much is made of not doing that, of not turning towards that. It doesn't mean we've got to dig out all our therapy. But just the honest fessing up to each other about what overreactive divas we are, uh, that alone, and share some of the madness that goes on in there and the crazy things that compel us. 
everyone goes, oh, me too. And it's just like this unity and intimacy happens by really getting real outside of the normal shop window we present each other with. And is the root of it the fact that we're not paying attention? Is it all about awareness? Awareness is a key cornerstone. I always say with my teaching, there are 79 cornerstones. <laughs> no, but it, awareness, the awareness to catch the thing that's going on before it sends us into a sleep state of coping, reacting, strategizing, you know, compelled, automatic state. To catch it, I do believe does start with awareness because I, in my humble experience, which is not humble at all, the only times I've ever managed to catch it is because it comes with such a seductive rush of chemicals or contraction or expansion volcanic in the body. That's the first thing that happens. And then the mind matches it. But if you can catch it in the body, you can catch it before whatever cast of one flew over the cuckoo's nest that lives in your head grabs the steering wheel and gets control of the mouth and the email. You have a moment to stay the adult and go, yes, I know that we want to push a rusty nail into their eye, but you don't actually have decision-making power. That's the difference. It still comes forward. You still want to say that aggressive thing, or you still want to um, hide, or you still want to manipulate, or you still want to do all those things, you, but it doesn't have decision-making power anymore. You're still there. And that does take um, awareness to notice it, so that you can be there. If you're not there, you, you can't notice it. But it isn't it. It's not you. People say, I find it so hard to love yourself. No, you don't. The real use of the word I, the real you, who I'm talking to now, you know you deserve love, an equal amount of love as everybody else, not more, not, not less. You deserve love. You know that. But people say, I find it so hard to love myself. That's not the real I that finds it hard to love yourself. That's one of your little demons that gets into the driving seat. So to be really clear about how we use the word I is a, is a massive deal. Really aware about that. I only use I when you're the kind awake one. And if you ever notice yourself using the I when it's saying something shitty or I can't do it or you're feeling disempowered, then don't use the word I. And, I mean, from my experience of the workshop, I felt so much lighter at the end. It was kind of like it freed up space within me and there was kind of this real sense of, um, of almost excitement that from this work even just a weekend of this work, I could go out and things would be different. And um, you use this work particularly to help people fulfil their full potential and to be insanely gifted. Can you say how this helps to, um, f for people to kind of really be the best they can be? Well, if you're not doing what I've just described, which is turning towards all the neurosis and seeing it as the little children and signpost to self-care and treasure that it really is, and your body's natural unplumbing and unblocking, and if you're constantly pushing away any edgy feelings and just not letting that process happen and cork and run away from any things that arise, then apart from the ones you're forced dragging and kicking and screaming into, then you're going to be so occupied and so de-energized by the dealing with that whole sea of nonsense that you're trying to control and trying to survive. Um, and the amount of mental activity and the amount of lack of intimacy that that creates and the amount of distraction from the work you could be doing present in the moment, focused, because you're still texting that person <laughs> or, or checking the email, did they reply? Or, you know what I mean? If you're... If you're not doing what I'm saying, then you can't possibly be the best you can be because the best you can be is your full presence and focus and excitement and relaxation here. That's the best you can be. So if you're totally trying to keep at bay all the things 
you know, you're constantly in a trip of just distraction and strategy to avoid, and I don't want to feel that. I want to run to this addiction, to that addiction, complain to this person, control this, control that, hide away from this. That whole keeping ourselves comfortable thing is all in the name of never feeling any edge. It's like we programmed our brains early on, never let me feel anything that's not comfortable. So we we're not curious about what's not comfortable. We are in avoidance of it. And yet it's the not what's comfortable, not the deep scuba agony, just the snorkeling not what's comfortable that is the unlocking and the expressing and the unblocking and the healing of everything we need. So until we're willing to say, I am a human who's willing to feel some of my uncomfortable feelings and really mean that, it is a constant just keeping it at bay, distraction, and you can't possibly be the best that you can be because you don't have the energy to be here, focused, present. Is this all to do with connection at the end of the day? Is it, does this allow you to be more intimate in your relationships, at your work? Massively. Again, if you're fully present here, the least distracted and triggered and strategizing and manipulating and hiding from this person, if you're fully presently here, of course, the aperture for our intimacy widens. How can it do anything but? The more of yourself you bring and the less you're slightly somewhere else on a graph <laughs> will you know, massively up the deepest depth of connection available and the frequency that rises between you, of course. Yeah presence is, is intimacy. That's why kids want presence with a C, not with a T, from their parents. You know, all they want is presence, but not the kind of thinking. And I suppose another element of, of what came up really strongly in the workshop for me was this kindness to yourself. Mm. But the fact that with so much of the time we're kind of giving ourselves a hard time and we've Maybe got to be somewhere. Well, we're not giving ourselves a hard time. The voices. Let's be, you know, let's really get our language straight here. It's like sort of vegan language, or whatever. You've got to say the right shit. Um, no, we're not. We're not beating ourselves along. We are sleeping while one of our critic character, internalized personalities beats us. We are asleep at that moment. We're not beating ourselves along. That character is while we sleep. I think it's important to just make that distinguish, distinguish the two. And everyone has that voice, has internalised, come on, you could do better, you haven't done enough yoga, you've eat, eaten all the biscuits again, um, and you could be doing better, and constantly scanning, am I enough, am I enough, the not enough voice. It's a different form of scarcity, all the different characters have one. And when it goes unchecked, the inner critic, slave driver, who in the, in the workshops we look as two different characters working together, like Tweedledee and Tweedledum, the slave driver uses the data from the inner critic to work together. Um, if you haven't attended to that part of your brain, you think it's you when it comes up naturally of itself. So you say, like you just said, we push, we beat ourselves along, and you identify with it when it comes up. And what I'm saying is that when you raise your awareness, and you start playing games with it and having fun with it. It's not raise your awareness like staring at a fucking wall. When you just make it your business to notice this shit of these characters leaping in, you suddenly realize they're very much not you. If you're there to notice it, you're the subject, they're the object. It's not noticing you. You're noticing it. You realize you are the noticer. And then that character of the critic, if you can then have a chance to attend to the critic or the slave driver, not believe it's your values, making yourself feel bad, making yourself make choices that maybe are not good for you to push it all along. Or, you know, when you think it's you, you'll let it have decision-making power in your life. And that's, that's perilous. 
But when you're aware, you hear the urge to, oh, you're not doing it again, come on, you need to do this, that. And you still don't give it decision-making power. You listen to its data, you go, actually, yeah, maybe I will do yoga today. But you're not doing it because of this thing that needs to beat you along. And you can't be anything other than that character that everyone has. You can't be anything other than its bitch if you're asleep every time it comes up thinking it's you. So that's just not a cool way to go through your life. I don't want to, I don't want to live in a sleep state where whatever character chooses to lead forward makes me believe that's me in that moment. It's not me. It's just a sort of coping mechanism of the psyche. And we it constantly, the mind, you know, what the spiritual people would say, the mind, the monkey mind, it has this incredible seductive power when triggered, when anxious, when worried, when, the, when reactive in, in some way to send forward a coping bodyguard that would, does not have the same values as I, does not have the same agenda, things that must happen, things that mustn't happen as I. And so to distinguish which is I and which is not I and, and notice, oh, that's the, the demons, oh, this is me, is the game, it's the ball game. So there's, these mon- there's monkey mind, there's all these characters... Which m- comprise the monkey mind. Yeah. And so on the workshops you're kind of playing with all these characters, you're getting insights into what's kind of driving you in, the, in a sense. And then the other aspect is really f- feeling the impact that's having to Can you say a bit about that yeah. side? The monkey mind includes the body's chemicals. It's not like mind or body. The feelings in the body are all mind. Because how you are reacting to the pleasure of the pain, it's which I, yes, you can 3D the actual energy of it around the body, but um, the pulsing in the solar plexus or the tightness in the throat or the terror in the chest or whatever it is intrinsically linked both to the monkey mind triggering it all up but also the body's incredible system for flushing out the constipation of all the accumulated pain of your life so in a way you it's a paradox because we want to be free of the monkey mind but we need it to keep being a laxative to stir up our chemicals if we want to have any hope of dissolving the amount of constipated emotional we all carry in our body. Us worrying or feeling angry or feeling stirred up is on one level the body's genius way. You know it's always dis- disproportionate to the, what they just did. So if someone just did something level three stupid annoying, you feel level eight reactivity go off in your body because you've got the whole lineage of every twat like that you've ever come across in your life. Now, that's part of the body's genius of trying to get those things which are still at eight to shit out all that accumulated stress and anger or whatever. So you need those twats who are to stir that stuff up or you need those worrying thoughts or, you know, strategizing manipulative nonsense that goes on in your brain to stir yourself up so that you can discharge as part of actually the body's genius in trying to get you to expectorate. You know, they used to be able to, you know, get a thing to help you cough, an expectorate. Don't know if you can get those anymore, but like for people that can't cough, people that can't discharge, um, that's what all these things are. So as well as not wanting to be seduced by the stories, we kind of do want to be seduced by the stories and the, and the demonic impact because we need the laxative. So it's a kind of paradox. You want to be free of it, but not free of it at the same time. It does form a function, but you want to make, even if it is making you sort of shit out yesterday's suffering, you want to be there while it happens rather than just really swept along by what he said or what he did. You still want to be watching it happen from the audience while feeling the ouch of it on the stage, 
Ramdas talks about this being two places at once. You're the soul watching, hopefully directing. You're the ego totally in the drama. But the soul watches it and goes, oh. Uh, and you just kind of, the two things. It's not that you can stop yourself always being in a melodrama, but you're always watching, marveling, and finding it adorable. That's the short way to say it. And one tool for the daily life that you can bring into every day all the time is this body scan that you um a way of kind of going through the body almost like you're on a vipassana retreat and you're you're seeing where feelings are coming up yeah i really believe that one of the things that every you know every person can do and totally like when you start learning how to drive you're like oh i'll never be able to do this but then you can do it so much that you don't even think about it while you're doing it you're chatting you're (laughs) texting no you're not um you can drive a car on autopilot if you know how to drive and um, you need to start doing this radar internal practice just like that, like on autopilot. It becomes just like as regular as you can drive, but do many other things, chatting, yet your body knows how to drive. You switch on this internal radar of knowing how you feel all the time on the inside. So the moment there's a feeling, you go, oh, it's like it makes a person-shaped dashboard that lights up when someone upsets you or a worrying thought, or you just wake up blue you go, oh, heaviness on the chest. But you don't go to, oh, what's the, have to check the bank account. You don't go to thoughts and to things in your own life. You go, ah, oh, heaviness on the chest. And you just go, oh, let, let it just do its thing. I don't need to now go and solve it. We don't like to have heaviness on the chest. Let's think about loneliness or something that's a problem in our lives. You don't start trawling for trouble. You just do it in the body. You don't actually need to give yourself the monkey mind head trip to solve it and make it go away. So being a willing participant in this incredible genius dissolving of emotional constipation that our body is always doing, I think is a brilliant thing to learn. And you can learn it and then not have to think about it anymore. It's just always on. You know, at the beginning it's dial-up, then it becomes broadband, and then it becomes optical, and then it's just on. And it's so, like, every human should be doing that, you know, and it's not like something you need to keep practicing every week. Once you've got it on over a three-month period, it never turns off again. And one of the keys to it is curiosity and something i love that you talk about is you become a wine taster yeah part of the in the radar that you do for three months or for the rest of your life the rest of your life this radar internally feeling and loving everything is your your attention is in the same instead of avoiding edgy things which is all we've been doing because we're so comfort addicted get a headache take a pill the moment it's edgy it's like how can i get rid of it give me a session with someone to get rid of it um, the exact opposite attitude is curiosity and what we call the extension of curiosity is being a wine taster of it, yeah. So you you don't just, you're so the opposite of turning away, you not only turn towards it, you're like turning towards every flavour of it, every texture of it, you're like fascinated with it. You're absolutely, what is it big, is it small, what texture is it? Um, and by doing so in a loving, welcoming way, smiling your breath, welcoming breath through it, it gives the body's genius its best chance to recalibrate it in any way it sees fit. That's not our business any more than we tell our stomach, carrots coming down. You know, we don't do that. We just uh, trust. And in this case, we, try, we just give it our full welcome presence, our least resistance pulling away, cor- corking it, running to Facebook, running to the fridge, um, going numb. The least amount of that, the most amount of, oh, hello. It's the path of, oh, hello. <laughs> But that really says it. It's like you're turning towards and just saying hello, curiously. And like a wine taster is the black work belt way to do it. And it has incredible results. 
when you become like intensely curious with all this stuff going on inside you become you you start falling in love with it you can't not because it's so made of all the lovely wounds and beautiful parts of you that you've forgotten and other people that you chatted to in their bits like the path towards doing this is so storybook and so full of lovely abbey national moments you know more people should do it because it's just so, when you find these different parts of yourself that have been wandering in the wilderness all this time it's like oh i know <laughs> it's so good you know like it's, there's nothing like, like creepy or like squirmy or, or, or cathartic or exposing about it. It's cute. It's like trolls. And you have to be in quite a receptive space, don't you, to do that practice. And I really like how you talk about you know, yin and yang energy and how being in a more receptive state is so important for creativity. Yes, do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. I totally think um, I've got the most out of the Taoist ways of looking at things. And I love the, the, the basic um, ways that the Taoists who invented Tai Chi and Chinese medicine and the way that Qi moves through the body life force itself. You know, Western medicine hasn't even got a, a, a chapter heading for the life force that is aliveness or deadness. Like an apple on the tree is hard, take it off, it gradually goes softer and rots. It's lost its connection to the plug, you know, to the tree, which was giving it life force and making it hard, you know. When you disconnect things from their chi source, their life force source, they die. And when you're born, you have a certain amount of it. And as you get older, you get like an apple and, you know, eventually you sort of, you know, decay and die, uh, body-wise. So the Taoists um, spent thousands of years, even, you know, thousands of years before Jesus mapping how this meticulously scientifically works in the body and their way of expressing the whole of this reality we all inhabit together is through the yin yang symbol which is like white black you've all seen it and that they would say masculine and feminine but don't think about gender it's just like the outward going force and the receptive force is the best way to say it yang is the doing linear they say masculine because it is a very sort of men of this planet. Oh, I will do this. I will do that for forcing linearly full thinking it through, get to the end, draw a line, reach the uh, conclusion, get to the next level, buy the thing, build it, achieve it, do it. Uh, part of us, uh, impose ourselves on it and change it, um, penetrate the world. And the yin part is, like the, is kind of the opposite, which every man and woman has, which is the part which is impacted by the world, which hears which is receptive, which is moved, which uh, it, it, when you dance, you're in yin, like the beat is moving you. You're not doing it unless you're dancing uncomfortably. You're not going left shoulder, right shoulder. The enjoyable dance is when you let the beat do you, you're yin when you're dancing. When you smile or laugh, we say I smile or I laugh, but really a smile or a laugh comes up through you. And if you're relaxed enough, you, ah, you laugh, but you don't laugh on purpose uh, unless you're weird. So... Uh, when you smile, it's really more accurate to say, I am smiled, I am laughed, you know. So in the yin, a great idea pops into your head, you're, you're receptive. And that's where all the genius songs and, you know, you, you hear a song, you don't think up a song, you know, oh, let's go up at the end. You don't deliberately do it. You, you go, no, 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 you hear it, you go, no, 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 oh, I heard a melody. That's why everyone says, when you hear something, you're receptive, it came into your ear. So all great creativity is when it moves you when you're moved by the excitement of it and the channel opens a lot of people writing say yeah it's really coming through yeah it's like you're yin when you're doing your greatest creativity so 
the great big idea, the thing that I know what I want to do, the, the, the moment that, that knows the truth and is the most aligned and that receives your own kind of higher wisdom, if you're someone that believes in higher wisdom or any kind of higher power or angels, guardian angels, pixies, these secret messages of penguin people, I believe in all of them. <laughs> um, if you're open to the shamanic walk of all the ways life itself wants to speak to you beyond just the surface level of things, uh, then you can open up that whole yin of listening and being receptive to that, like a receiver, like a satellite dish, and have all kinds of information and wonderful guidance and humor um, just by turning on that yin satellite dish. And that's where a lot of creativity and funny characters and madcap ideas and scripts and wonderful things that came effortlessly in five minutes, the great song like That's Entertainment by the Jan, written in four minutes on the way back from the pub. There's just that spaciousness that happens when a song powers through. That yin is also the great treasure of parenting. It's when in your listening, receptive, totally tuning in state that you know what that kid needs. You know what it's saying, but you also know what it needs because you're intuitively, as a carer, as a mom, as a dad, you can feel them. You're in a yin state. And also, of course, the greatest lovemaking in the world is when you're so receptive in such a listening feel that you're tuning into every sound, every smell, every shape, every shadow of who you're with. You're going to have the best lovemaking of your life. So for me, it's always the yin, where the treasure is, that directs my yang doing busy part, which is essential. But I don't want to do something unless my yin just told me to. So the yang is at the service of the yin, always in creativity and lovemaking and parenting and all the important things of life. It's the yin that directs the yang. The, the yin is the feminine leader. The yang is the masculine doer. And that's why we obey, if we want to be in harmony. We started the interview by you saying that we just tend to strategize so much and we just that's kind of like almost our default default it's a part of our brain that has been programmed to do that that we are just not paying attention to so we we let it go for so much that we imagine it's us we think of it as a high mm. that's the problem okay and and then but we know that when we're in this more receptive state that's when the great creativity really happens the great music the great dancing the great parenting mm -hmm. um but we can still get trapped in, in the strategy. Yeah. So what can we do to kind of try and transform ourselves so we're more in that kind of receptive state? You just keep catching yourself and use the noticing that you've fallen into the strategy to be the alarm call to wake up and self-lovingly rub your own chest and go, oh, did you do it again? To find it completely adorable and then go upon your way. And do the kind of practices that can help you to do that? Any amount of body scanning, any amount of eye gazing with people and noticing, any amount of sitting in nature and just allowing the leaves to rustle sound waves into your ears and let it penetrate you. Any way you can be in, in beautiful places or with beautiful people will accelerate that process. Be discerning though, don't go to any old tantrum muggins who wants to feel your bumps. Just, you know, be careful. And what is it about the power of nature in doing this work? So the Transforming Shadows um, workshop that we did in, in Devon, what, what is the added power and benefit of being in a wild place? I think being in a wild place, um, it, it connects us to our humility strangely enough. Being in a wild place makes us less sort of um, able to maintain the ease of the shop window. It makes us more authentic. 
somehow there's something about being by a rushing river or watching some incredible birds nesting on a thing or being in Africa next to immense nature or just, you know, in a forest somewhere on just that day when the light was like this, which just makes you feel that part of something bigger that was so hard to feel sometimes. And uh, the, the feeling of the disconnection from the, the something biggerness, whether it be just our mother's womb psychologically, it freaking us out, going from being in the womb to being outside, that alone, going from the lovely float tank that was mother being part of something, uh, where it was all just kind of taken care of, and then coming out of the vagina into the world, maybe bright lights, maybe a rough towel, maybe blah, 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 cutting the cord, hello everyone, skin all over you, turning on, like it would just be, how can it be anything other than a total freak out disconnection even if you don't have spiritual beliefs you know even if you're not imagining there's a higher power before that big fluffy dolphin in the sky so that disconnect um the feeling of connect is um what we all strive for what we all just like want hunger for whether it be through a Coldplay song everyone cheering together in the in the gig or whether it be through um romance and feeling that sense of connect oh he gets me he really gets me um 18 ways to make him stay mary claire or um whether it be through nature which is a maybe healthier but they're all music they're all wonderful ways but like that feeling of connection you get in nature um is like such a relief that it makes the more panicky inner children stuff that isn't in alignment with you more obvious in a way, because the part of you that resonates with the bit that isn't all the melodrama is more alive in nature. So because the part of you that's more natural and more alive and not neurotic is there, it slightly burns a bit brighter in nature, it actually makes it quite easier to cast a light on all the cast of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And what would be one a bit of advice you would have for someone to really live a full life like really creative really kind of being the best they can possibly be what would be your one nugget find every failure of your what every perceived failure of yourself more adorable than the last totally everything that you turn away from turn towards it kindly and ask it what it needs and live in devotion to that and Give yourself a pat on and the heart. Always giving yourself a rubbing. Oh, you know. Just going, oh, you're lovely, you are. You're unhealable. Oh, love you. All the time. If you're not doing that, if you're not from that attitude all the time with yourself, no amount of yoga or Reiki or practices or shamanic realms or gestalt is going to help you. If it's not like the, the bow springing from the place in Zen archery, if it's not moving from that beautiful self, kind, forgiving, having no expectation to grow, you're doing well enough just to be in one piece, mate. Don't you fucking worry. You're not doing enough. You're doing plenty. Um, that attitude of total forgiveness and like in benefit of the doubt and patience, like a very kind psychiatric nurse. If you're not coming from that place, don't bother doing all the other things. Adjust that. And only then start doing all your yoga and your practice and everything and use it as a way to imbue that energy into your life. And what's the key for someone who's maybe just left one of your workshops, really inspired and fired up, and they know that kind of some of the magic will start dissolving? How <laughs> can people really integrate this into their everyday life? 
by just keeping noticing and doing it and, and being kind and silly and talking to other people who are doing it and just doing it more and more and more. It's just repetition, the neuroplasticity of the brain. Just keep, keep doing it, keep catching yourself, laughing when you catch yourself, doing it again. It's not up to you how fast the river flows into the ocean, it's just not up to you. You just entertain yourself as much as you can along the way and just try not to resist. And, you know, try not to resist. But I think it was Osho or someone cool said, you know, like, it's not up. The only thing that's in your control is stepping into the river. After that, the current that takes you into the ocean is, is totally not in your control. Just be a passenger. Smile and wave. That's the mantra. Smile and wave. Your circle of influence in this is minute. It's very kind of refreshing way to end. So thank you, Jamie. And Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, um, it's great to, how much humour you bring to this and how much lightness. And it's a really, really effective way of looking at yourself and um, seeing what's really there. So thanks so much. Very good. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Change in Nature podcast. Inspiring people, inspiring change. For more episodes of this podcast, as well as retreats and offerings to help you change in nature, visit our website, changeinnature.org.